Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Welcome everybody to this episode, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we are talking about Turkish food and uh, chatting with Ahmed Didi from Didi Restaurant here in Baltimore and Cork in Ireland. Um, uh, May Chin is joining me. May, thanks so much for joining us here. And I know you're as excited as I am about the discussion today. Hello, I love Turkish food and thanks Ahmed for talking to me. Andy. Yeah. So Ahmed, for anybody who just doesn't know Ahmed, is um, a Michelin um, award winning chef, um, awarded a Michelin star for uh, his former head chef role in Muse restaurant um, in Cork also. Um, but Ahmed has opened up his own restaurant recently in Baltimore Village, the beautiful idyllic part of the country um, in the custom house there. Um and basically, Ahmed is from Turkey, has been in Ireland for many years now, has worked in other Michelin restaurants such as The Greenhouse. Um, and I guess we just really wanted Ahmed to chat to you today to get your story and your impressions of, uh, well, your story about your, your heritage with food at home, with your family, your background in cooking, but also to hear about, you know, your impressions of Turkish food in Ireland. And, and and Irish people and and to try and kind of promote Turkish food here. Um, to to start off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, tell us about your family and your background and where you're from. Yeah, so my name is Ahmed Dede. Uh, I'm from Turkey, and uh, I born and raised a capital of Turkey called Ankara. And I'm the youngest of three boys. We are three brothers, and uh, we obviously born in Ankara, we raised there, and then we left when I was 10. We moved to the southwest part of the country, a place called Kushadasi, that's where my parents live at the moment, and that's where, where I am at the moment on my holidays, spending time with my family. So, born and raised in Turkey, and then uh, my love of food started in the family, first of all. My mom is a housewife, and she's been raising three boys, three hungry boys, including my father is four. <laughs> and... Uh, my interest of food is started basically helping her at home cooking for the for the family and then from there it's just uh, develop and grow as in a passion and then uh, after uh, 13 years living in turkey uh, i met my uh, wife she was irish and uh, we got married we lived in turkey for a couple of years and then we decided to move to ireland in 2009 march Ahmed, sorry, I just, I'm, because I'm fascinated always by childhood stories, um, can you tell me a little bit about maybe what are the first few dishes that you were cooking with your mother? So I would say I was a big, like, I remember as a kid, like breakfast is a, such an important thing in our house, you know. That was the, the first things that I, I, I it's flashback in my memories. We, we didn't have a, like, central heat. Would have a, like those things you put a uh, bucket of coals and wood and then you fire up. It's just middle of the sitting room, and uh, with the pipe goes on the wall and with the with the with the pipe and chimney style, you know. And then we would cook like the tea would be uh, ticking away on top of it, and then she would make a fresh flatbreads, which is very amazing. She would make a very quick bread in the morning, just flour, yeast, salt, and water, and uh, she would cook them in the morning. And then uh, we would make some spicy eggs with some uh, 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 cured some sausages and salamis in the morning and lots of different fresh cheeses and olives and fresh tomatoes, peppers and cucumbers. And I would be helping my mom, uh, like slicing the tomatoes, the cucumbers, slicing the cheeses, cracking some mix on the pan. And then uh, that's how it started, first of all, uh, my first cooking but the the dishes like she would make like rice pudding like we would get a fresh uh, raw milk from a meat man would come screaming on the street like milk 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 and my mom would send me down the street with a pot give me a couple of liras and then pay the guy we bring the raw milk put on the stove and then pasteurize ourselves and she would make a beautiful rice pudding i couldn't even wait the rice pudding till it get cold you know i would just dig in straight away that's always is uh 
uh, stays in my memories, which one of the first thing I asked my mom when I came here and on, on the first of January uh, this year, and I asked her, "Oh, we need to make we need to make some rice pudding because there was like five liters of raw milk she had. She just got it uh, the last day <laughs> before I came to Turkey, and uh, those things are popping up in my memories first of all." That sounds so amazing, and I have to say, um, I was in I was in Istanbul in 2019. It's actually the last time I was abroad before COVID and everything, and. The Turkish breakfast, oh my God, I have never had a breakfast like it. It was just, it's outstanding. May, I know it's a favorite of yours as well, isn't it? We both kind of tell stories about our Turkish breakfast experiences. Yeah, like Turkish breakfast is not just sitting down, having something like for a very quick bite. It's not like that. Turkish breakfast is, 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 is an experience when you sit down and then so many different items on the table, like so many different cheeses, different olives, lots of fresh vegetables like peppers, uh, cucumbers, nice fresh tomatoes, herbs, lots of greens like rockets, some parsley, all this stuff and lots of different pastries and all the meat and savory. And then you have the, all the sweet parts of it. When you sit down having a Turkish breakfast, you sit down with your couple of friends or family. And then you drink a lot of tea, a lot of juices, fresh juices, like pomegranate juice or some orange or mandarin juice. And then you start eating and you would be sitting like two hours, you know, eating. And then end of the meal, you would have a beautiful cup of Turkish coffee to finish. Have a couple of cigarettes if you smoke. It's, it's a relaxing moment for, 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 for people you love. You like to spend time together. It's not just feeding your stomach and going out and going to work or anything. It's very important. You know, is Turkish is breakfast then like the biggest meal in Turkish food cuisine, or or is it just it's just as important as as the other like it's, dinner it's, and so yeah. the most important meals in Turkey is the breakfast and the dinner. And the lunch is very quick because street food in Turkey is very versatile. On your lunch, you would go grab like a kebab wrap or some uh, different sandwiches or different wraps and uh, bread and kebabs. When we say kebabs, kebab is the word that it, it's, it's meaning for a kebab. It's like a roast piece of meat. It can be fish, can be meat, can be chicken. You know, cooked in a charcoal open fire. That's the meaning of kebab. It's not just the turning uh, thing on a skewer around the fire. That's not just the meaning of the kebab. Kebab is a very versatile word. And then that's a very, very versatile street food. That's for lunch. We would go like a kebab shop, grab a little bit of the roast meat and wrapped in a bread or put in a sandwich and some like uh, aromatic like onions and parsley on some nice uh, chili tomato spread or stuff like that. And then that's the lunch kind of version of it or different type of soups and salads also very popular in Turkish cuisine for lunch. And then the dinner is massive. You know, it's very important to have a dinner with the family. And uh, that's the uh, two important meal, I would say, the breakfast and the dinner. I was also going to ask you, um, I, I got the impression too that the idea of snacking was kind of important, that you would have... Tea, like there would be t- times in where you would have tea and you might have a simit or you, you know, like there would be yeah, breaks yeah, yeah. as well or, okay. So the snacks, exactly. Like snack is like something very quick, you know, like, because with Turkish people, we eat a lot all day every day like <laughs> like i like i i i forget the tradition because living in ireland and working in a, such a fast pace in my own restaurant now this year and before where i was working is always fast pace go 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 and uh but now i am in turkey and i'm every day all day with my family because it's the corona and everything we can't really go outside or anything uh, and uh, stuff so we just just eat like start with the breakfast long breakfast and then and then the afternoon like we go for a walk and then come back we would do like a fruit platter or make some very quick pastries like very very quick pastry we would make like yeast paste pastry we will fill with some uh, fried mint or some fresh cheese with some parsley and chili and then just uh, bake make a make a pot of turkish tea and then just have a snack and then some pickles some olives some cheeses some some nice cured meated kind of you know stuff we love snacks we love eating all day little bits and uh, bobs you know it's very very part of turkish tradition and culture is turkish food would you say is one of the defining things about it that it's 
you seem to have a lot of meals where the food is shared. Yeah. Like, you know, you kind of put out plates on a table and it's, everyone sits around. And is that, do you think, a defining kind of defining kind of characteristic of Turkish food or what else would you kind of, how else would you kind of define it? No, this is, this is a very, very, uh, I think, uh, nice way of putting the Turkish food. It's all about eating with family and friends and, and then just sitting around. Like, I was just watching videos and my cousins now sharing some videos in our family, family WhatsApp group, you know, and uh, they were sending some videos mother grandfather we all grow up and uh, and live in an apartment that my grandfather built in ankara and we were like four family uh, households living in the apartment and then we, it's like there was no table or anything like we would eat there's a round big wooden kind of circle table you would put on the floor and then you put a blanket underneath kind of you know so the, all the crumbs and all the food if it spread it goes on it then we would just put our legs down and then we just around the there was a table and we would just sit it. And then there's no one plate for each person. It's just like a bowl of rice, bowl of baked beans, bowl of whatever, uh, salad, pickles, and you just uh, take and eat it. And you just eat together, you know? This is, this is the definition of Turkish food, just shared and eat with the family and friends. You don't sit down and eat by yourself or or alone or kids would eat there and the mother would eat there. It just doesn't happen. Now it's changed with the new generation and all, but this is the definition of Turkish food, just uh, very simply, just sharing food with family. Um, also, uh, just can I ask you, just on, on a seasoning or spices or, you know, just what, what, how would you define Turkish food in that way? Like what distinguishes it from the Middle East? What distinguishes it from, you know, North Africa? What distinguishes it from Greece? Like what would be sort of Turkish seasonings, Turkish cooking? Like what would go, okay, this is a Turkish dish. Yeah. So this is very like, first of all, we need to understand what is Turkish cuisine, you know? Turkish cuisine is like uh, developed through Ottoman Empire. So when you look at the Ottoman Empire, uh, Ottoman Empire traveled as far as China, okay? And then they picked so much culture <clears throat> and traditions and flavors uh, through their uh, traveling. Uh, so we have a cuisine that uh, involved the, like the Balkans, the South Asia, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, Israel, that part of the world, uh, all that regions, African touch as well, you know. So it's it's all that cuisines and traditions and uh, uh, all that mixed up and then created the cuisine we call now Turkish cuisine. So we have different spices uh, entered the country from <clears throat> India to uh, China to Morocco to Israel to Lebanon to Iraq, Iran. You just goes on on and on, you know. So spices, we use a lot of spices. I don't know any single Turkish person in my life uh, that doesn't use any spices, you know. It can be soft spices or it can be really, really hot, different type of chilies and peppers and things like that. But spice start in the morning with the breakfast. Like we, we crack eggs. I put chili flakes on it, black pepper, you know, lots of chili flakes. Or we make like a fried uh, piece of chopped meat and we put lots of cumin, black pepper, dry chilies, uh, chili and... Uh, red pepper kind of paste uh, we call salsa you know it goes into it with lots of onions and garlic and we put some fresh tomatoes and uh, some cracked eggs the dish called like a similar to shakshuka but the turkish name is melemen it's very very traditional and spice is very important for us like or lunchtime you want to have a little uh, you work in the office you go uh, grab a sandwich uh, with some kebab meat inside you put lots of spices in it again the common spices we would use in street food and in households uh, is it would be uh, hot dry chilies medium hot chilies and some sweet dry chilies and then we would use lots of cumin uh, lots of coriander we also, uh, black pepper, and we, we use so much mint. We love mint. Dry mint is very, very, very important in our cuisine. So, yeah, this is the spice kind of level, you know. It's very important in our food. 
I was going to say though too. I'm 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 originally Chinese, um, and you know the Chinese always think that they invented everything. But with dumplings, yeah. of course, it's the Turkish who brought dumplings to China. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And it's very, 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 very nice to hear from a Chinese person. Fair play to admitting this. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't do it lightly. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, we we have a dish. It's one of my favorite things to make, eat, and cook for for family and friends. A dish called manti. Yes. So manti is a is a like pasta dough basically rolled up very very thin and then we would make a filling with the with the with the lamb mince some onions and some black pepper and salt and a little bit of uh, chili and uh, mint and stuff like that and every every region would put different spices you know but then you cut the pasta very very tiny like a little square like a size of a size of a, like a 10 cent or 20 cent okay very very small and then you pinch the you pinch the sides like you would do in a tortellini or anything you know and then we 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 just cook very very quick in a, a boiling water for like a minute and then we put in a bowl and we make a dressing with some yogurt some garlic and mint inside we make a spicy tomato sauce and then we put some uh, burnt butter over it you know it's just so delicious to eat and uh, tomorrow actually i was just telling my mother we 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 are making mantis tomorrow and uh, we're gonna we're gonna enjoy it but also in my restaurant in uh, in baltimore uh, i i use uh, this dish uh, one of the snack when you come to restaurant uh, one of the first in a very different version but it's it's the same you know one of the dishes i really enjoyed in istanbul which i think you had actually recommended to me was kokoretsi if i'm pronouncing that right yeah um yeah which is um so it's kind of it was lamb intestines that are wrapped around other kind of parts of offal isn't that right and then it's grilled so it looks like a kind of a fillet and it's grilled and it but it's basically the chopped innards cooked over a griddle yeah. now maybe not a maybe not a dish to introduce people to turkish food with if they're a little bit um yeah. you know squeamish or anything but i absolutely adored it i just thought it was so amazing it's amazing it's one of my favorite as well the like i had already like maybe six seven times off it since i am here you know because i one of my friend owns the cockroach shop only that is cockroach so it's the is the tentacles of the animal and then mixed up with some sweet and then what they do is after they do an amazing cleaning job first you know so it's all the flavor all the dirt is gone and then they pour they poach it very gently and then after it's already cooked so tender and then what they do is in a, in a little spit roast over the charcoals when they cook it really nicely crispy and you get the charcoal taste and then they chop it really fine on a big chopper uh, Turkish uh, kebab knife kind of and then they put some spices on a grilled bread it's just amazing but in EU you cannot sell it it's against the HAC so there's no country in Europe that can use this unfortunately oh. Yeah, of course. You know? Ahmed, I wanted to ask you also, because Turkey is, again, you're saying Ottoman Empire, all of these different influences, are there um, sort of regional differences with food in Turkey? Massive, massive. It's crazy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Turkey has, I think, 82 cities. And like from, you go from far west to the far east, it would take you like 22, 24 hours to drive if you don't really stop. So it's a massive country with the regional differences, cultural differences. And the food is each city is completely different. Lots of similarities, of course, you know, but like we, like in Ankara, you would have a different type of kebab. Uh, how they cook it, how they prepare it. And you go to uh, Konya, which is on Anatolia side. They will do very, very differently kebab uh, selection of uh, uh, region. And then like the wood fire oven, for example, is massive in Turkey. A lot of wood fire places. Dishes called like pide and lahmacuns. They are very thin base of uh, pastry filled with lots of meat or vegetables or eggs and cheeses. And then bake in the oven very quick. It's, it's not like a pizza shape, but it's very long, very long, like a meter long kind of pastry. And uh, the same, every city on different versions of it. The pastry would be different. The filling would be different. And then we call dishes like one pot cooking. So things all cooked, throwing in a pot and then cooked in the pot. 
And then those dishes as well, very, very different. You go Black Sea side, they would have amazing different dishes, lots of seafood-based dishes, lots of duck and wild kind of uh, birds and animals kind of based uh, the uh, tradition they would have. You go to east part of Turkey, a lot of spices. They love very, very spicy in east part of Turkey, and they like really, really hot. And then you go to uh, where I am now, is the southwest and uh, region called Egan, Egan Sea, we have here. And then uh, the, they eat lots of uh, vegetables here, lots of vegetables, lots of greens, lots of salads, lots of wild forage greens that grows around the mountains here. This is the region. They just love this kind of things, you know. And then you go to Anatolia. Very, very uh, simple dishes, lots of very quick, nice, simple breads that are uh, just very easy to make. And, uh, yeah, the difference within the regions is like you go to uh, uh, China and then you travel to, for example, Japan, and then you go yeah. to Singapore. It's very different, you know. And um, But lots of similarities in a way. You get me, kind of? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I was just curious. I'm, I'm fascinated by regionality. And I think that sometimes people don't, don't get how regional certain countries can be and how like every country is different countries. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what's also fascinating me about my country. Like I had the, I had the opportunity last year. I was, I spent eight weeks in Turkey when we finished with the muse and I was uh, taking a time off to make a decision for my future, what I'm going to do. Will I go there or will I stay here? And then I needed the time off and then I came to Turkey. I was so many different country, uh, cities and places. And then what I see, what I taste from region to region, I was just like, I, I felt like I'm just traveling a world tour or something. It was so different from each other, you know? And I mean, now here you are in, in Ireland and you're a mission star chef yourself and, um, yeah. you know, you have your own restaurant in Baltimore and Cork. And tell us a little bit about setting that up and in terms of, I suppose, what your aspirations were for the restaurant. Like, did you want to, did you want to do a, a like a, a Michelin Turkish restaurant or did you have a very, did you know immediately what you wanted to do if you were able to open up your own restaurant? And, and also, did you feel under pressure at all to kind of, or limited by being Turkish? Like, did you feel you had to do Turkish food or did you want to do something else? No, so like my, obviously if like I was the head chef in the Muse restaurant, 17 and 18 and 19 years, we get a Michelin star on the 18 and I kept it on the 19 and my food in the Muse restaurant based on, only ingredients from West Cork. And the food was just pure, very clean, super seasonal, but nothing or anything to do with Turkish food. It was just pure, just, it's not even Irish food. Like the, people try to name it as the new Irish cuisine or this cuisine. I was just cooking what I think is good and uh, what I like eating. I was using my experiences from so many different uh, restaurants and countries that I work after chapter one, you know, develop a different kind of styles and techniques and all that experiences. And then, but then when we finished with the muse, when I take the time off, came to Turkey, then I, and then, then I started thinking, you know, uh, first of all, we start. Uh, we we make a decision with my business partner. Her name is Maria Archer. She's the owner of the Customs House Building. And then we make a decision that okay, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna work to uh, together, and then that's what what we want to do. Okay. So the concept was going to be: I was going to do four days a week fine dining, Turkish food, uh, restaurant using as much as possible West Cork ingredients, but also using lots of Turkish spices and some Turkish regional ingredients that want to uh, mix it with the West Cork product. But it was going to be a Turkish uh, refined kind of style of food, you know? A lot of fun part of it as well was going to be. And then I built a team that uh, all Turkish chefs, uh, we we apply for uh, work permit visas for uh, three guys, three amazing chefs, 
only two of them could come and then one could came and then after uh, three four months later the second came and the one couldn't come obviously corona came but the my goal and the mission was last year for the restaurant there was i wanted to get a michelin star straight away in the first year with the turkish cuisine but the decision why i wanted to do something turkish and change altogether what i did three years in the muse was it's because i'm turkish there is no turkish restaurant in ireland there is no turkish chef that doing turkish food or turkish inspired food in ireland at that level and and then i was like i think uh, change is good anyway i didn't want to do what i've been doing in the muse with my new restaurant you get me i wanted to open up a new page i wanted to go back to my roots i wanted to cook the food that i've been eating and i've been tasting all my life at home and outside of home from street food to the uh, fine turkish home style dishes very humble dishes i want i just thought that i can bring all these nice things and then create a really nice menu do a really nice turkish style inspire and uh, flavor dishes and i built a turkish team was going to come and work with me and then i say Okay, we go. We get a we get a mission start straight away. We put the Turkish cuisine in the in the Europe up with a, with a really nice uh, way using the West Cork products and working with still the farmers and the producers. All my friends now in West Cork, and then that would be an amazing, amazing concept. That was the intention of it. But then obviously Corona came, we couldn't open, and then we, we, we were like thinking what to do and all, but we had a business to survive. We need, we, we need a business to keep alive. And then we come up with different ideas and plans and everything else. And then uh, it worked out very well last year. Anyway, everything worked out. Is there ingredients that from West Cork or Ireland, like if, like if I asked you what Irish ingredient would you have to have, do you have to have on your menu, menu, like when it's in season or whatever? And the same question about Turkish ingredients. For me in West Cork, for me, the tomatoes in West Cork, I cannot have enough of it, you know. It's the best tomatoes. I'm from Turkey, we have amazing tomatoes, but the tomatoes I'm getting in West Cork from a couple of farmers and uh, it's, it's better than the tomatoes I'm getting in Turkey. That's just the facts. I'm not going to lie. Nice to hear. Yeah, and uh, that's some that's one ingredient I cannot uh, live without it, you know. And then from Turkey, I have to have my pomegranate molasses. I have to have red mulberry molasses in my kitchen. That's just addicted stuff. I have to have it. And then I have to have all my different types of uh, uh, selection of different spices from Turkey as well in my kitchen. These are the ingredients. Uh, definitely i have to have it you know yeah they sound amazing and um when you were uh, just more about when you were opening up the restaurant um did you feel under pressure did you think that people were expecting you to cook you know authentic turkish food like did you feel that that was the irish perception of what you were going to do or did you feel under pressure to do that from because people wanted that you know they wanted to experience it here did you feel like that came into it yeah it's a very good question you know i asked that to myself when i decided to open up a restaurant and then when i decided i'm gonna do some like turkish inspired dishes but using all the west Cork ingredients but i was not worried i wasn't i wasn't feeling the pressure because i know i was going to cook it delicious plate of food you know i know the people were going to really enjoy the food but i would be lying if i say i didn't think it did cross my mind because of you know like food critics will come they're gonna eat your food they're gonna read like oh Ahmed is now doing completely different food than meals and then the expectation i think for them was probably oh he's gonna cook like all in Turkish food, all in Turkish inspired kind of things. But it doesn't work like that. You know, I have a certain style that I love. I have a certain way of cooking that I love. And cooking is like fashion. It changes constantly, you know. And I like to involve with the changes. But there are certain things that it's 
will not change. It's it's just the way you cook. It's just the way you do whatever you know. There was nothing pressure, but I I thought about it. Maybe they will not understand what I am trying to explain by I am trying to do here. Not just like hundred percent Turkish food. I'm trying to do here is Turkish kind of inspired, refined Turkish cuisine, but also it's using Irish traditions. I'm making a like a potato bread, like knowing as the baxti, for example, you know, and then I am adding some spices into it and I am putting a kebab on it. But when you look at it, when you eat it, it's Turkish, but it's not fully Turkish. You get me? Yeah. So this kind of things, you know, it's, it's, it's a building process, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take uh, time and it's going to take a little bit of uh, understanding of what's this chef going to do, what's this chef trying to do, you know, but I am not a bit worried because at the end of the day for me, the food is and has to be very good on eating perspective, you know, and then I know that I can do this every day, all day, no problem. So I'm very confident on that. Ahmed, I wanted to ask you also about Irish perceptions of Turkish food and whether, I mean, for, like just to be really blunt, like, um, you know, does it annoy you that sort of the kebab here has become sort of synonymous with sort of drunk food? Uh, it's horrendous. That's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the just, one thing I, I don't like. Yeah. yeah, like for me, uh, it's the thing that most annoying me is a lot of restaurants, not just in Ireland, but when you go capitals, like you go to Amsterdam, you go Berlin. Berlin is a little bit different because there's a massive Turkish population, but you go Brussels, you go you go Paris and stuff like that. <laughs> the people how they present Turkish is is wrong, you know. And including Turkish people themselves presenting their own country's food is wrong because the Turkish food, when you think it's kebab, yes, street food, you go to pub, get drunk, and you grab a uh, kebab and you feel, oh, it's great, you know, it's like a hangover food. But it's not a hangover food, it's not a junk food, it's, it's, it's a street food. Street food is not a junk food. Junk food is completely different, you know what I mean? And street food is, the, for me, street food is the soul and the heart of the city. If you want to understand the city and the country you are in, you need to eat street food before you eat anything else. Yes, no, I agree. You need to go to the little, 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 little villages, little towns, little streets that, oh, that they do this, they do that, and then grow a piece of that, grow a piece of that. That's the soul and the energy of the, uh, of the, of the street food and presented the city itself. But unfortunately, uh, our traditional amazing street foods in, in Turkey very uh, sadly a junk food in, in Europe and uh, that's the most annoying me like places like Abra Kebabra places like uh, tart glass kebab shops opening in every corner of, uh, of the places that the, the people are not even Turkish or even Turkish they're buying this already made processed factory made carbon style uh, meat that's running turning all day long on the fire and it has no flavor it has no taste it has no texture it has no meaning or love of making it you know and uh, that's wrong and that's very very uh, uh, sadly but uh, very wrong of explaining to the people that this is kebab this is turkish food no kebab is not like that kebab is very different you know and uh, like you've been in turkey in istanbul you see how the kebab is done like in an open fire proper meat the, 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 it's just a really really different looking at it when you eat it it's, it's alive the flavor the bread the toppings and everything else with it and i have to say my trip to istanbul and when when they they brought us i went on a food tour with just a local tour guide she and i just walked around for a whole day um, and she brought me to loads of local spots and she brought me to Iskander's, um, yeah. the original, the original place where the, the donor kebab had been created, the, you know, and the, yeah. um, the history of the family. And we met with one of the descendants of the very first person who had created it. And we, we enjoyed a kebab there and it, it was out of this world and it was more, more, um, and not 
the way they presented it, the way they told us the story and the heritage of it and just how beautifully cooked it was. They even brought us into the kitchen and we met with the chefs. They were so nice. And, you know, they're so, it, it is, it, it gave me such an appreciation of, of that of that dish and just how much it means to the cuisine and culture in Istanbul. And, and, and then for me to have you know, see the experience and grown up with the experience here of a completely different thing. And it, it's just, it does, you know, it's, it's awful to see how uh, dishes can be appropriated like that in, in a different way. Yeah. You know? But I also think that the point of street food too, is that the reason why you eat street food is you're engaging with the person that you made, who made it right. Like that, was originally the point and sometimes that might be generations of people but you know you always go and you know you have one seller who does this and but you you have relationships with these people that's what i mean like this there's no meaning there's no meaning in europe they do turkish food they just do it for the money when you come to turkey obviously you make you need to make money but this is tradition it's generation to generation he's probably father and grandfather grandfather make this and open this shop they love the meaning of doing this every morning when they come and prepare that meat just turning on the skewer it's not just the meat turning on the skewer they make it with passion with the love with the tradition and respect the tradition and it's the connection they have with those customers they have year after year after they keep coming and uh, that's the saddest part of uh, for me to see what's going on and um in Europe with the, with this kebab uh, things and all that. But I get this, this. We are living in a world that, you know, people just eat to eat and some people eat for pleasure, you know. And uh, that's the difference, uh, the society we are in, you know. Another question I wanted to ask you about, um, just I don't know if, you're, if you can comment on it, but it's something around um, the hazelnut farming in Turkey. Um we just we were looking up different things and when i was in again when i was in turkey the hazelnut spreads and everything is just everywhere it was just so amazing and part of the breakfast and you know but around the kind of ethical eating you know have you heard about um this kind of controversy around hazelnut farms and migrants in turkey or you know does this inform like how you source products when you think about that would you be aware of it in your in the country yeah, it's so look, it's uh, hazelnut. Uh, it's come from a, a Black Sea region, so Black Sea region is just covered with hazelnut trees. When you think about it, uh, almost eighty percent of worldwide hazelnuts come from Turkey. Only one village uh, supply fourteen percent of worldwide uh, uh, hazelnuts from Black Sea side, which is ima- insanely fascinating. Yeah. Now it's crazy. Yeah. You think about it, and it's a massive industry. But it's obviously involved a lot of labor, you know, mm-hmm. and those labor part of it can be a very different situation. It can be a lot of people uh, working in those farms, and uh, it can be kind of uh, very sad in a way that, uh, like you mentioned, you know, and unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, these things happen in everywhere in the world. In a, such an operation like coffee, such an operation like vanilla, operation like hazelnuts, pistachios, uh, highly labor-contained uh, uh, products always also creates a platform that people get advantage of the of the stuff that's working in those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that's the uh, most I can say about this. Uh, no, that's know. perfect. That's perfect. We might have to, we're going to probably wrap it up. We've been spending, you know, you've, you've taken so much of your time, but I kind of wanted to ask you, we like to ask people this question. Is like, can you think of an over the top, what do I call it? Over the top crazy dish, maybe from history um, that, you know, from Turkish cuisine, you know, like that you're going, oh my God, like this is just so insane. And, you know, here's the story and, you know, here are these different components and these are the people that made it. Can you think of something that might be like that? Like deeply ornate. Like I always think of Ottoman. So I was like, you must have something. <laughs> <laughs> like Ottoman Empire is so versatile. It's so many dishes. Like uh, it's, it's hard to name one or two or three or four or five. It's so much, you know. Uh, we use so much offals, you know. Like I, and I love offals, you know, like roast 
roast uh, like head of uh, head of lamb, but for example, spit roast the head, and then uh, the, the the feed of the kind of the lamb is very popular. We love it. The name is called Kella Pacha. Kella means the head. The pacha means the feet, and then you would go in the morning. They would boil the head and and the feet, and then after that they would roast it on a barbecue, fully. And then this guy would come on the table with a big, massive chopper knife, and then crack the skull of the of the lamb, and then spread it. And you get the brain, you get the cheeks, and you get the tongue. And then he would throw some fresh bread, just come out the oven and some uh, spicy sliced onions with sumac and salt pepper and some spicy pepper. Uh, that's a breakfast, for example. That's like, imagine like there's, you get this and guys just coming and cracking the skull and then uh, splitting that feed just in front of you. That's like, for me, it's crazy. And this being in the cuisine, like uh, so long time, you know? And uh, like, amazing. I am fascinating about the whole process of making baklava, for example. It's it's the very very like worldwide knowing uh, Turkish uh, uh, sweet, but I spent like a good 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 of time last year, four hours in in a baklava factory with the baklava master and opening that little filo pastry layers after layers, and uh, it's just a simple dessert when you think about the layers of filo pastry. Yeah. And it's so good though it's so beautiful it's so good but this guy been doing this like he he was 55 so he started i think 12 or 11 he said with this with this uh, with this family business and uh, and then since then he been doing like 40 plus years just fucked or nothing else in his life and uh, but the, but the skill set of it is just blowing away just to seeing like fully whole process of it that's fascinating but oh, uh, that's so nice I, I find we in Dublin were spoiled because we have myself and May are both avid fans of Isla Bakery on uh, Capel Street. I don't know if you know the guys. May, what's the guy's name who owns I the bakery Errol? again? Errol is Turkish yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. He is a, it's a Turkish bakery and shop on Capel Street, and they bake four times a day. Oh so they do the pide, they do the simit, they do um, everything. The, it's the so good. Yeah. Baklava, um, yeah. Amazing. And you can get you can get the hazelnut spreads. You can get sukuk. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Sukuk, sukuk. Is that right? The sausage, yeah. Um, you can get all. You can get loads of drinks and the dairy as well products. I was also I was also introduced to the whole uh, combining tahini with pelmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pekmek and it's delicious. <laughs> the best thing in the morning, tiny Pekmek mix and a fresh, fresh, warm simit together. How good it's is so that? Good. Oh, so good. They have the dried aubergines, courgettes, and peppers. Yeah, yeah I yes. have lots of them. My I mom know, does I it. <laughs> I, need to, I need to ask you what like they seem so delicious so at some point in the future will I bring you some <laughs> <laughs> yes please <laughs> if you could pack a separate suitcase to bring back for us we'll send you our shopping list <laughs> yeah, we make a dolma with those dry dry, dry vegetables we, fill the, we, we rehydrate them in a warm water and then we make a filling with the rice and aromas and spices and herbs and we fill them in and then we just put on a pot single layer and then we just uh, cook it with a nice stock or just water as you would cook a rice and uh, they would become like a sushi <laughs> like amazing and then nice some nice garlic and spicy yogurt dip it's so good so good. oh so good and thank you so much for joining us today and especially while you're on your holidays in turkey i really appreciate your time i'm sure everybody will fall in love with Turkish cuisine as much as as much as myself and may have um just from listening to your stories and I hope of so course, yeah. to, of course to get down to Cork as soon as we all can um yeah, to try maybe. your restaurant as well best of luck with that and continued success with it over the next yeah. few months I hope it all goes well for you thank you guys say hi to your mother she sends she sounds wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. She, she we have a plan. I, I will bring my mom and dad in uh, October or November to Ireland. And then hopefully. you will make Monty. You will make Monty. Yeah, and yeah, I will yeah, go we'll 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do a for for hands dinner with uh, me and my mom. We're gonna create a menu and uh, a couple of dinners in my restaurant together. Okay. Oh wow! We'll have to travel down for that. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much for uh, giving me opportunity to talk about uh, my cuisine, my family, my people, my food, and uh, my traditions and my country. Thanks very much. I really appreciate that. No and, uh, thank you so much. Take care. RuPaul's Drag Race is a gift that keeps on giving. Some people like to go over their favorite sports matches. I personally prefer a good RuPaul recap. Join fellow head stuffers James and Kian on Sissy the Pod as they dish, analyze, and revisit every episode in its gorgeous glory. We will definitely be tuning in, girl. Come on, Sissy the Pod. Let's get thickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, Sissy the Pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade and backstage buffoonery. That's right, whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK or All Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play! Do you know, I just absolutely, just to recap on that interview with Ahmed again, he was just so fascinating. Like, we just totally revived my love for Turkish food, which I just, you know, got from when I visited Istanbul in Feb last year. Um, and I just want to go out and have Turkish breakfast, like, right now. May, did you just, I just loved speaking with him. He was so fascinating. I also just love that he was both passionate, but I personally love that he was so articulate about yeah. describing food and history. Um, and I think that that's, that's a rare talent. Yeah. Blanca, you've had a chance to listen to the interview. What did you think? Um, one thing that struck me, guys, is he didn't explain how to make Venezuelan arepas. What happened? <laughs> oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that. So for anyone who was tuning in to listen to Ahmed speak about Venezuelan food, um, which was <laughs> reported in one of the national papers recently, um, he was never going to speak about Venezuelan food. But um, we do have Venezuelan food coming up in an episode soon. Spoiler. Um, so get excited for that. But no, uh, yeah, he didn't speak about that. But he said he would have been happy to if we had asked him. <laughs> Well, he does seem very intellectual. Um, I think the yes. books he was mentioning and his knowledge of, you know, the complexity of the cuisine of Turkey and all the influences from the Ottoman Empire, I was absolutely amazed. It, it was a very, very good interview and um, he was very knowledgeable. And yeah, I just, it made me love Turkish food even more, Dee. What's your experience of Turkish food? Have you been to Turkey yourself or... No, my experience is I have a couple of friends in Dublin who have who have introdu introduced me to Turkish home cooking and I've been to Turkish breakfast. I I casually thought it would be something like Spanish breakfast, which is very informal. <laughs> it was like a mm -hmm. banquet and I was blown away and I I've just been interested, I guess, ever since. And they're very good cooks and they make all the lovely breads at home. So it's just, you know, from meeting other people in the international community that are passionate about, about food. One thing I found really interesting that he, that we mentioned was, I suppose that kind of our, as in Ireland, our crimes against Turkish food, which was, I suppose the, the making a kebab, you know, their, their loved street food, as he talked about it, um, into just this drunken foods that we eat after a night out in a club everyone goes and gets kebabs or whatever so I kind of I, I don't know I felt a, a kind of a slight sense of of shame that we do that but I guess that it happens across the world like I mean you know the kind of taking one cuisine and just doing it wrong or badly or it's adapt, adopted in in just a completely different way to the way it is in the country where it's from I also just thought that he was very articulate about um, sometimes the struggles of being a chef because he is a Michelin chef, as opposed to a, a and um, and that tension that is be, being be, between being a chef and being a Turkish chef. 
Yes. And what struggles, what artistic struggles he then faces. I thought he was very good about that. Yeah, like people expecting him to cook Turkish food, right? Or, you know, you know, that he is just also a Michelin, not just, but he is a Michelin chef who's worked in Chapter One, who's worked in the greenhouse, um, worked in the restaurant Muse where he got his Michelin star, which was where he was just inspired by the West Cork landscape and the sea and the ingredients. And that's what he wanted to cook. It wasn't about, it didn't matter where his inspiration, like his, or what style his cuisine was. He just was inspired by the ingredients themselves. Um, And it's interesting to hear him talk about how then with his own restaurant, people might've thought that he was just going to do, they expected him to do Turkish food just because he's Turkish, you know? Not being Turkish enough. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think um, the other thing, um, Blanca, I know um, the three of us were chatting and you were talking about um, this idea of the fact that Ahmed was Irish trained and what implications that might be, um, you know, like if, you know, how, how that affects, how that affects how you are treated in the industry. Does that, is that something that we want to talk about? It was just a comment. I think um, there's many narratives about immigrants coming to Ireland, and sometimes the narratives can be a little bit negative. Um, and I found in, I guess, our last two guests, uh, Gorka Rieta from Kerry and Ahmed Dede, just that their experience has been so positive, and they came here and they kind of integrated through the through the cooking schools. And they've been very welcome. And you see, you know, both Gorka and Ahmed, you know, they've been very welcome in terms of awards and recognition and press. And um, I just thought it was very interesting. And I just wanted to ask Dee, do you feel that's just like a sense of pride that people think, oh, he's Irish trained? Or do you think that's just the normal networking that happens in these cooking schools? I think definitely, I think the latter. I think it's networking, to be honest. But I think that that you know, I don't think anyone really thinks about where a chef was trained or that that, you know, that's why they're accepted more or anything. But I think naturally, if someone trains in a country um, like in Ireland, you know, when you're training here, you're already making friends, peers who you, colleagues who you might eventually end up working with, or you'll have, you're starting up your own network. You're learning about the culture when you're learning about the food as well. I mean, I presume they teach, you know, they go out on, they teach, you know, a lot of about the food history here, but also about um, they go out on trips to food producers and start, to, you know, to learn that network, which is a, a community in itself. And I think it just helps people probably um, just kind of settle quicker and maybe easier because of the networking through studying here. Um, and then getting also, I, I know that the the culinary colleges are are excellent here at helping students get placements in in restaurants. Um, they would know all of the chefs and where they might suit or where someone's looking for you know, so looking for somebody or stages. I know Ahmed has has spoken about his stage in Chapter One. How he just took it of his own. Um, he kind of you know his his own just self confidence to kind of go up and knock on the door and see if they would take him on, but um. You know, he did also say he got help from his um, his lecturer in CIT to kind of go up and study. And, you know, he was recommended to go up and study in Dublin. So it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that yeah. that support network is there. And I think that's I think that's the, the reason why there is a lot of international chefs in Ireland, which is interesting, who have done very well here. Um, you know, you've got Mikael Villanen from the Greenhouse, who's two Michelin stars. Jordan Bailey has two Michelin stars in I'm sure. Um, um, yeah, there's, you know, Jess Murphy and, um, lots of others, you know, Damien Gray and Leah, like there's, you know, there's a lot of network of, and Takashi, sorry, thank you. I was running out of, I thought I was struggling there to think of more, but it's always the way when you're suddenly need to name people, you forget everybody's name, but there's, you know, so many. And I think that that's, um, it's really nice to see that they do it's well here really, yeah. and that, yeah. Yeah, like I, I, you know, you, you wonder if it's just because we're a smaller island that they can get 
people can get more recognized and everybody is into the food scene here. And, and we do, the Irish media do a good job at celebrating our chefs here um, and the restaurants. I do think they get a lot of press as such, you know, there's a lot of column width given to reviews and to interviews with chefs and producers and things like that. So I think it kind of helps. Yeah. And I definitely think um, there's enough there to make another podcast just about. um, Oh yeah. An interesting topic, actually. Yeah. Like, um, I wonder is, you know, is there a question there around like, you know, why so many international chefs come here, you know, and end up doing so well at a high, at a high standard, like fine dining? Like, is there a whole conversation around that? Yeah. And, um, and another thing I was thinking is Brexit is probably going to affect um, the students that these culinary schools are going to get because it's going to be very hard to go yeah. to Cordon Bleu in London or to go to Le- uh, Leith's in London and get placements. So I think this is definitely, I'm, I'm thinking here like David McWilliams, my economic superhero, but I think this is going to benefit Ireland. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to attract a lot of students of English and of cooking to come to Ireland. So girls, mm-hmm. let's open up a school. Yeah, I know that Darina Allen, who we had on a Christmas, she spoke um, just about obviously COVID has affected the school and the running from that perspective in the last year. But before that, she had spoken to me about how Brexit, even when it was just finalized and kind of announced that it was definitely going to happen and everything, that that really affected the school as well, that they saw a massive drop in numbers from the UK. So, you know, it is worrying from that perspective as well. But hopefully, as you said, the international the and the Italian will kind yeah. of make up for that. Yeah, because it'll be to work here. Definitely. But also, I don't know whether this is related, but back to Ahmed, like his English was so good. Um, oh so, God, good. And, so good. Um, and, I re- and I was laughing because he said that he sort of learned about Michelin through um, the, um, the book, The Perfectionist, which is a really dense and difficult book and very dark. Um, yeah, he said he, he went, went to the library, library yeah, and you know, read it. It's about you know, the suicide of this Michelin chef called uh, Bernard Loiseau, and it also breaks down the Michelin system. But it's like a difficult book if you're a native English speaker. Um, and right. uh, and he said like some salient points, and I was like, "Wow, you read that book!" And that was like that was how your eyes got open to the Michelin system. And so, but it it helps to have almost. I, he has just such a subtle grasp and command of the English language. And you can tell he reads a lot because, you know, one of the keys in learning a new language is reading. And I think mm. that you can tell he's read about a, a, a lot of books. He's probably spent a lot of time in the library <laughs> besides the kitchen. I think, yeah, the <laughs> kitchen and the library. Yeah, he definitely has... Um... He found his love and passion for sure. It just shows. And I'm, I actually, we, we definitely have to do a spice bag, a uh, road trip down to uh, his restaurant when, when we're able to again, for definitely. sure. Also, um, girls, can I give a shout out to, um, we talked about it a little bit with, with Amit, but, um, our, one of our favorite shops, all three of us, can I say that like one of our favorite shops is Ayla on Capel yeah. street. Blanca Valencia actually introduced me to it, um, but it is a Turkish shop. It's family owned. It's owned by this wonderful guy called Errol. Um, there are olives. Uh, the bakery out- operates usually four times a day, so you can get fresh baked simits and borek. Um, and you have um, Turkish delight that's being imported from Turkey. Uh, beautiful nuts, tahi, baklava. You have like the, you know, tahini and pekmez and, you know, sukuk. And it's just a beautiful store. I get the hazelnut spread <laughs> as well, you know. Yeah. And I, because I, I know we spoke about that with the farming issues and stuff. But um, when I was in Istanbul, they, you know, they, they, with this one guy I met in the market and he had this, he wanted me to taste all these different spreads and it was hazelnut spread and pistachio spread. But when they were telling me about hazelnut, they're so proud of the fact that they produce the most amount of hazelnuts and you know, he was like, there's this famous, you know, hazelnut spread around the world, but it's absolutely rubbish compared to our spread. And, you know, he was just chatting about Nutella and just kind of putting it down and saying that Turkish spread should be the number one. Everyone should know that. (laughs) They were so proud. It was really, really nice. But um, you can get that in Isla as well, which I often get, which is beautiful. Definitely go to Isla. Definitely go to Isla, especially if we if um, those of us locked down in Dublin can't go to 
Dede, um, it's worth the trip. And they are the most helpful people there too. So definitely we'll put a link on the show notes here so people can see it. Lastly, we want to take time to share a podcast with you. 180 Degrees is a podcast sharing the stories of people across Ireland working towards a cleaner energy future. Ireland has committed to radically decarbonizing by the year 2050, but is its public sector reaching its targets? 180 Degrees is brought to you by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, supported by the Government of Ireland. If you like what you heard or better yet have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today we really want to hear from you so please contact us at instagram at spice bags pod twitter as well as the same spice bags pod or you can email us at spice bags pod at gmail.com 